Good morning, church. Christmas love, isn't it beautiful? Well, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Misty. My husband Omar and I are the lead pastors at Grace Church, and I am honored to light the Advent calendar, or candle, not calendar, for this morning's service. Last week was what? Hope. This week is love. Wasn't that a beautiful video? I know that uh, there is an incredible message for you this morning, and I am so excited to introduce to you for the first time as a pastor on staff at Grace Church, Kari Ahern. Will you give her a very warm welcome? Thank you so much, Misty. Yeah, well, church, it hasn't been that long since I've gotten to share with you back in August um, my husband and I came, we drove to Federal Way and said, man, this is a long drive. And um, we were so excited to bring the word um, back in August. And that day, something started that no one saw coming, which is that now we live in Federal Way and this is our home. So guys, thank you so much. Oh yeah, those applause, totally. Um, thank you so much for making our family feel welcome. It has been this incredible, I mean, and actually like, miraculous moment in time where we were shocked by God's plans and things moved so fast and already we are completely at home. We feel loved by you and church, we love you like a lot. It's genuine, it's real. And um, today as I share, I just want you to know that this is the greatest honor for Elisha and I. It's his birthday. Um, yeah, dirty 30. And um, and we just, we are so grateful to be here. Now, our kids, as you can imagine, it was a couple of weeks ago that we officially made the move out. And moving during COVID is crazy, but moving during Christmas is crazy too. And we tried to get ahead of it with our little kids. You know, we've got three kids who are two, four, and six. And so for the oldest, he's old enough now to give us a Christmas list. This was the first year that that had happened. And it's kind of, it's a new experience. You know, we gave him some catalogs that he could put his, you know, little L for law next to the toys that he said that he wanted. And he did every age appropriate toy <laughs> in three catalogs. So that's not happening, son. Um, and it's just so funny because at this season, in this time of the year, especially as kids, they are just like the open, honest versions of ourselves as adults. And so his desires and needs seem to change like every 15 minutes. So it's like he gives us a list and that list does not stand for long. And then, and then... Federal Way Cares started happening here in the building. And if you have been um, acquainted with that event, there are tons of toys that we get to give to our neighbors who are connected to through the school. And Law, I, had, I didn't even know, he and Oakley were walking through there and without me. I had no idea they were in there. And they ran out and they were like, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And I had to go like, okay, buddy, Amazon arrived a long time ago. <laughs> but... I have some like compassion and some understanding of that moment when your desires change, right? Your list changes. If 2020 is called any year, if I were to define it by two words, it would be unfulfilled longing, right? Is anybody there with me? This has been a year where we all want something really 
bad. And depending on the month of the year, it has changed, right? I think in the end, we all want health and we all want safety. We all want the same things, but maybe want different ways to get there. And even in, in December at Christmas time, I was laughing. Do you ever like tell yourself a joke and then you actually laugh out loud? Um, <laughs> I'm that person. So I was thinking about how in December of 2020, probably if we could like boil it down to one want that we all have is we all just want things to go back to the way they used to be. We all want things to go back to the way they used to be, even like politically, it doesn't matter who you voted for, you're probably not happy with December, right? You may want it to be 2015 or you want it to be 2017, but you don't really want 2020. We all have this longing and it's, it's, if we can acknowledge it, perhaps it can unify us just for a moment to know that this is not a comfortable moment in time. And in this Christmas season, as we light these Advent candles and we each week take a moment to think about and contemplate on these aspects of last week we talked about hope and this week we're talking about love. Looking back at the word of God, it is comforting for me to know that this is not the first moment in history that has been so chaotic. When Jesus was coming to the earth, it was a time of social and political and religious unrest. Which, like, in 2018, I was like, yes, totally. In 2020, I'm like, uh-huh, tell me more. I've been there. It was a moment where everybody wanted something. And even when we get into the book of Luke, which is where we're going to be today, we will see that there were three clusters of people who wanted something, all wanted different things. And they were answered with the presence of God. They were answered by love. If you, want to, if you wanted to like name this sermon today, it would be longing and love. Can we pray? Father, we do love you, God. We love you so much, Lord. I thank you that as we sang these songs today, we lifted up your name and, and contemplated on how forever and ever and ever you are and that your love never fails us. God, I pray that as we get into the word, Lord, I pray my words would fade away and yours would be amplified. God, I pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy in Jesus' name. God, I pray that truth would be spoken here, whether in this room or in the online campus, Lord God, and we are looking for transformation. We don't want anything else, God. We don't want to leave here where we started, Lord. We want to be more like you. In your mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. Love. You know, um, at Christmas, people will talk about love quite a lot. In fact, my kids were watching a movie uh, with Santa Claus in it because we're those people. And they were watching it, and Santa said at one point, like, well, everything would be fixed if they just loved each other. I was like, yeah, that's totally, that's, that's true, more than you know, Santa. In our culture, love is exalted, isn't it? This happens really often in cultures around the world. If you study the way that cultures operate, there are certain cultures um, in the world that would value, for example, honor. It, it's so central to the tenet of their culture that sometimes it can be put up into a place of idolatry and then it gets warped. So something that comes directly from God, it's not just honor, it happens in cultures all around the world, that it, it gets put above God in the place of idolatry. And when you do that, something like honor can become twisted into something like shame or control 
or isolation. There are cultures where, where family is such a central part of the culture, but when it gets put into the place of idolatry, it moves into lack of boundaries, abuse, secrets. In our culture, and I could go on and on, in our culture, though, I believe that thing is love. So much so that, that when we talk about it, it is, it's vital that we stop and we define it. Because love means so many different things, doesn't it? And in our culture, we believe that love will change everything. If I, especially romantic love, if I just had that partner, if I just felt better, it, my whole identity in the world, we see it in, in, in sexual relationships and saying that's my full identity, this is all of who I am. And in the church, we see it in the idolization of marriage. That type of love is so idolized that it has become twisted. And I think that's why every pastor who's ever said love has to get into the biblical languages, right? Like you're not a biblical scholar, but you're like, but I know agape. Let me tell you about agape. So that's what I'm going to do right now. (laughs) Biblically in the languages, there are three different types of love. We are poor in our language ability to describe it. But there's one type of love... And I'm going to, guys, I mispronounce everything, so please give me grace. There's eros, which is the physical or sexual love. And that's one we just talked about. And then there's phylos, which is the affection or the friendship. You may find that in the love that you have for your parent, for your sibling, for your friend. That is a very real love. And we all know those two things are different, right? But then there is agape love, which is God's love. You know, before the New Testament, this word agape of unconditional love, sacrificial love, it wasn't, as before the New Testament, it wasn't necessarily associated with God. It was a different kind of love. But when Jesus comes onto the scene and we start talking about God in the New Testament, this type of unconditional, there is nothing you can do to take my love away from you, love. The kind of love that would die for you. The type of love that would suffer on your behalf so that you can receive something. That type of love starts to be described as the love of God. And that's why the love of Jesus is unique. It is unique. You know, in, in Luke chapters 1 and 2, we see these three, three groups of people. First, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, you may know them as the parents of John the Baptist, but before Jesus came on the scene, their lives were different. They, they had this intense longing that characterized much of their life. They were childless. Now, I cannot imagine. They were. I'm going to actually read here. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, if you want to get that ready. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we find Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were also very old. You know, if you have walked through or been with somebody who has walked through a season of infertility, you know that there is a longing there that is pretty unmatched. It can be the most isolating, painful season. 
that stretches and stretches and stretches. So when I read this, that Elizabeth was not able to conceive, my heart just drops. Because the enemy loves to lie to us in our season of longing, doesn't he? The enemy tells us the weirdest, most twisted stuff. And what's funny is that he's not a creator of anything and he's not original. And so the lies that he tells people now, he told people then. It, it's just, he's, he's just, he does the same thing over and over and over again. So we can know that what the enemy would speak to Elizabeth would have been something along the lines of, man, you must be a second-class citizen. Everyone can do what you can't do. Your life won't start until you have those children. And it is such a lie because actually, too, the, the Bible is not silent about issues of infertility. Do you know that among the saints, the highest people of faith, the people that are the most glorified in the word of God, they were people that struggled with infertility. And so the enemy wants to tell you, you are alone and God doesn't hear you. And the opposite is true. Because the reason why they are exalted in these, among the saints, isn't because of the children that came. It was because of the season of faith and sowing. And so whether that's you, I do want to speak to those of you that may feel isolated in that moment to tell you that you are not forgotten and you are not less. Our God is bigger than that. But also for anybody who's going through a season of longing, of waiting, of praying, of watching, and of having disappointment, you need to know your answer is not your definer. Jesus is the definer. Amen? The second kind of group of people that we see is Joseph and Mary. You know, Mary in the book of Luke, she was getting ready to have or to be married. Now, of course, we're talking about love. So we can assume like, right, like they were in love. And I think that many of us think about like, oh, what was it like before I got married? And like, that's great too. But marriage in those days was pretty different. I believe that Joseph and Mary loved each other because I don't think that God would send his only son into the midst of a marriage that was tense. But marriage in those days, especially for a young girl, it represented so much more than just that love relationship that we exalt in our lives. It was literally your ticket to food and shelter. You had no guarantee in those days. If you stayed in your parents' house and remained unmarried, you could be putting your parents at risk for not having enough. If you were a married woman, you could have relationship with all the other women in the community. But if you were unmarried, it kept you apart. We see this biblically that, that, that women who were widows very often came to the end of their supply, which means they didn't have food, they didn't have money. So Mary, in her longing and waiting to be married to Joseph, it is real that she probably felt the way that many of us feel before we get married, but it is not the same. Because the price of not being married is so much greater than it is today. So when she became pregnant, certainly with the Son of God, which is awesome, but can you imagine that level of like, what? What does this mean? What does this mean for the rest of my life? What does this mean for my ability to even feed this child that God gave me? Mary was in a place of longing. And then when we get into the second chapter of Luke, we see the shepherds. 
I love the shepherds because I think that what they were longing for is similar to what I'm longing for right now, which is just like they just wanted to do their jobs, right? Mind their own business and get their jobs done. It's really cool when you, when you know some, some context about these shepherds who are on the side of the hill. Of course, if you're familiar with the passage of Scripture, you know that at that point Jesus was born and the angels were announcing to them that Jesus had come. But these shepherds, it was very likely spring when Jesus was born. And they were watching their sheep. It says they were staying overnight with the sheep, which, which indicates that it was spring. And part of that is because in spring is the time that the lambs are born. You know, my husband and I, for the last couple of years, we actually have had sheep, which was like, you know, totally his thing, not my thing, but it was great. And one thing that I learned over time was in the spring, you never knew when the lambs would be born. They get pregnant around the same time every year, right around October. And, and I didn't even, I was not even clued into this, but every time that we would drive home and we'd pull into our driveway, Elisha would like pop his head up into the pasture and count sheep. And we'd do it for months sometimes, that it, was, it ended up being later and later. But just waiting to see if the lamb was going to be born, if, if there were going to be new babies in our midst. And that's what the shepherds were doing on that hillside. They were protecting the sheep from predators because the lambs were going to be born. And even cooler than that is that, did you know that the pastures near Bethlehem were specifically the sheep that were going to be sacrificed in the temple? So this means that the shepherds were watching for the sacrificial lamb to be born. Isn't that cool? They had a longing. They had a desire. And I won't go into the depths of this story. You can read it. You can can watch a movie. You can find out about the story of the birth of Jesus. But church, do you know? that even though the three of them wanted different things, they were all answered by one thing, which is love, the person of Christ. I'm not just like pushing out of the biblical narrative. You have to understand that God is love. The Bible does not just say that God loves. It says that God is love. I feel like I say this every time I preach because it's so foundational. But you know that our God is three in one, the Trinity, Three parts in one. And it it really is beyond our human understanding. It's not something that we can wrap our heads around. But it helps a little bit when you learn that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the way that the three of them are in perfect oneness is that they are connected by love. Perfect love for one another. That love is the gel of the DNA of God. Isn't that amazing? And so when we say that God is love, and that in the book of John it says that God so loved the world that he sent his son to save it, we know that the personhood of Jesus in the manger is the personhood of love sent because of love to save us. So the answer to all of our longing, the answer is love. The thing about love, church, is that it's also like really, really messy. Because we have put love in this idolatry spot in our culture, we think of it as the good feelings, right? The pursuit of happiness. 
We think that the good, it's, it's almost like if you could see that type of love, it's like the Christmas glow, you know? If that Christmas glow is internal, that's the love. But true love requires of us. It gives to us, and it requires of us. You know, I really believe that God's love changes you. But when it comes into contact with you, it really, it gets under your skin and seeps into your blood. It marks the generations that come after you and changes eternity backwards. It casts your future in a new light and can sweep you off your feet in romance with him. It is all of those things. But church, we see in the picture of a baby being born, go here with me, that it also can rip you apart after it has dwelled with inside of you. It creates new life that continues to change and thrive and takes you by surprise. It can restore your dreams that are long forgotten. God's love is so transformative that it cannot be defined as anything except a force. I'm going to say that again. God's love is so transformative that it cannot be defined by anything except as a force because it moves you. If you have never received the love of God in your life, I want to give you the spoiler alert that like it will heal you on first contact. You are desperate for the love of God. It is like a medicine. It is the thing your heart has been longing for. The the blessings and the affirmations that within your heart you wanted from your mom or from your dad. The acceptance from your peers. You are longing for the love of God. But there are also moments in our lives where God's love is not the answer we were looking for. There are moments in our lives where God's love will transform and change things so dramatically that you think you're in the middle of a mess. Um, Birth is not cute. So I can think about Mary who was real young. I thought I was young having my first child at 24. Mary was ahead of the game. Can you imagine beautiful Mary loved by God rejected from her family. She can't stay with any of them in Bethlehem. She has to sleep on the floor of a cave and give birth, which, whoo, hang out with animals, and then begins the process. And I'm not going to get graphic here, but guys, I want you to go here with the picture of what a baby represents. She then goes into the process of literally laying her body down for this baby every single day for years and years in years. I am convinced that in the same way that the cross is sterilized if you don't talk about the resurrection, the birth of Jesus is sterilized if you don't talk about the laying of your, down of your life for your child. Because a baby who comes is a promise fulfilled. Sometimes it's a surprise. Sometimes you don't realize what a blessing it is. But this is a life that is a reflection of God. So a child is always a blessing. But church, children are not easy to hang out with. And if you want to keep them alive, you have to allow yourself to die. And there are moments, church, where I think that we have settled for a sterilized love. 
We have settled for a warm, fuzzy feeling at Christmas, and we've settled for a picture of a baby in a manger, not understanding that that was the beginning of life. And it is the life that saves you, church. It's the life that would die for you. It is the life that would resurrect. It's the life that brings you into eternity. But there are some of us in the church, and I am speaking for myself too, who have taken a look at what God has handed us this year and said, I am in the valley. But instead, I really believe that the Lord is saying to some of us, no, you are in a season of transformation. You are in a season of, season of laying yourself down so that others may live. In the church, we are prophetic. So what we do speaks into the spiritual realm, doesn't it? There can be others this year that suffer for the sake of suffering, but I don't believe that for Grace Church. I believe that if the Lord has called us to something, even if the labor is great, the promise is greater. And that we are sowing into the kingdom of God because there is nothing, I repeat, there is nothing our world needs more than revival. Because in revival, we find the healing of God. We find direction. We find reconciliation. We find all the things that our hearts so desire. But we have to, I just think that we have to be okay with the idea that it's not going to be as simple and beautiful as maybe what we were praying for. Nate, could you come forward and play? It's funny, at the end of worship today, as Nate was talking, I, I turned to my husband and I was like, he's literally preaching my sermon. <sighs> like full on. Because I, I think that in this moment, as, as we close today, I want for all of us to take a moment to contemplate God's love. And in the same way that at the end of worship, we said, yes, Lord. Guys, that's what we're going to do right now. He is so faithful. Our God is so faithful. And we, I don't want to scare anyone away from the love of God. But I think we do ourselves a disservice when we play down the fierceness of our God. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Guys, we just close your, close your eyes. Maybe even put out your hands as if you're receiving something. Not because it is like definitively doing it, but I think it opens up our hearts. Lord God, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we look to the manger, Lord God, we would know the cross. Lord God, I pray that your spirit would dwell here now, God. Lord, we want your transformation in our lives. Right now, I just want you to ask the Lord to identify that thing in you that you are longing for. Lord God, what is the longing of our hearts? Just wait as he speaks to us. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as that thing kind of comes up to you, or maybe it's in your mind or heart, maybe you've never heard the voice of God before, but you've got like this still thought. That, that just might be God. Because he speaks to us in a still small voice. 
Lord, as, as, as the Lord is speaking to you right now about that thing that you're longing, let's ask him, Lord, would you make clear to us what we have been turning to to fulfill that desire? You, Lord. Now, if, if you are right now, as, as the Lord is speaking to you, if you are seeing that the thing that you are turning to is, is a false answer, is not God himself, can you just take a moment to say, God, will you forgive me? Lord, will you forgive me? And God, I just pray right now as we sit here, Holy Spirit, that your love would come into this room. God, I pray that your love would fall thick, but but not just externally. Lord God, I pray that in this room online where whoever is hearing my voice right now, Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rise up inside of us. God, you are love. Your presence is love. Lord, we surrender to you. church today, as we are in this moment and as we prepare to go, can we just invite the Holy Spirit to stay with us? This wouldn't leave this moment. God, I pray that you would stay with us because God, Federal Way needs you so bad. God, Washington State needs you so bad. Lord, America needs you so bad. God, we need your truth of what love is to change us. Lord, I do pray for a revival today. Lord, I know it's Christmas, but isn't that what, what revival is, is the presence of God with us, Emmanuel. God, I pray for a revival. Lord God, I pray for healing. Lord God, I pray for people to come in contact with your love that don't even know what it is. Lord God, I pray that your love would heal. I pray your love would restore, and I pray your love would transform. We lift up the name of Jesus above all other names. And we turn to you today. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. Well, I love you, church. It's like the warm affection love, but I want it to be like the agape love, you know? This week... Um, remember, please sign up for our Christmas Eve service. If you can't meet us in person, if you are online or you're going to be away, one of the things that I want to highlight is that when you register with us on Church Center and you click on the, the uh, view at home, we will actually get you connected with candles to use at home so that you can be with us. So make sure that you do that. We cannot wait to see you. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas.